A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. You're listening to the History Today podcast for May 22nd, 2012. My name's Dean, and I'm the website manager at History Today. In the June issue of History Today, we have an article by the historian Edgar Feuchtwenger. As a young boy growing up in Munich, Edgar witnessed the rise of Adolf Hitler at close quarters. His family lived on the same street as the soon-to-be dictator. Edgar speaks to History Today editor... Paul Lay. Can you explain the situation there, Edgar? Well, in 1929, Hitler had his, uh, was on the up and up, and he used to live in a less salubrious part of Munich in the centre. And so I suppose with more money flowing in, he was able to afford this rather more upmarket apartment in a leafy suburb, one might call it. And which, which area was that? It's called Bogenhausen. And, and whereabout is that in Munich, for those who know it's, the city? It's, um, let me think, it's towards the east, or southeast, east, southeast, I would say, would say. And it's near one of the main Munich theatres, the Prinzregententheater, which is the sort of Wagnerian theatre, uh, opera house in Munich. Yeah, suitably Wagnerian. Suitably Wagnerian, yeah. Um, was there a sense at that time, in 1929, did you, did you get a sense, because of course you were only... Um, I was only uh, five. Just, just five at the time. Did you get a sense that of what the future held there for Hitler, or was he just another politician at that point? No, I I can't really say that. I mean, obviously I don't remember that clearly what I thought at the age of five, but uh, I suppose I must have vaguely known and my parents must have made it clear to me that he was a significant, if dangerous, person. And of course it was particularly um, significant for your family because one of the members of your family was a, was a particularly prominent figure, an, an anti-Nazi figure at that point. Yes, uh, I think uh, uh, somewhere or generally I think 
he became public enemy number one amongst the sort of Weimar intelligentsia or literati. That is Leon? That is Leon, Leon yes. And uh, uh, particularly at that point, uh, he wrote this novel about Bavaria in the early 20s, which made fun of Hitler. And, uh, well, I do remember a certain amount about that in that my father, but it must have been slightly later, said he'd been in Berlin, sort of, say, about 1929, seen his brother, of course, and his brother had read to him passages out of the forthcoming book, which he was rather in the habit of doing. And I think my father, who... Uh, was not a public person who didn't particularly want to attract attention, was rather taken aback. He did tell me that. And um, Leon had written and had great success with Jew Suss, hadn't yes, he? But, yes, but the... that was his uh, big bestseller and... Uh, Therefore, he was was a well-known, he was a celebrity, and I suppose writers were celebrities in those days, perhaps even more so than they are now. And and it was in the follow-up there, El Erfolg, um, or Success, that he um, produced this satirical portrait of Hitler, didn't he? Rupert Kutzner. The one thing that really enraged Hitler was to be made fun of, Mm -hmm. and I suppose he had the sort of feeling, I will show them. <laughs> and what sort of figure did Hitler cut at this point? Can you remember the first time you saw him? Well, I mean, the first time that I can really remember seeing him must have been when he was already Chancellor, which was probably early in 1933, when I was uh, eight, that's right, and... Uh, I used to be taken for walks, which I didn't like, and the, the beginning of the walk was naturally past Hitler's house, and just as we were walking there with my nanny, he came out and got into his car, and that is the first thing I remember about him, really. And you write very vividly about one of the most important um, moments in Hitler's uh confirmation of power, which happened on June the 30th, 1934, of uh, course, That's right, yeah. With, with the night of the uh, long night. Well, that was, uh, that I certainly do remember. I mean, by that time I was uh, nine, nudging ten, and I knew a little bit about what was going on, obviously, not in, not in any great detail, or not as one knows about it now, or nobody knew about it then as one knows about it now and I do remember the commotion and the tension there was you almost could cut it with a knife and uh, uh, I remember seeing it or hearing it personally by uh, you you know hearing more than seeing Hitler leave probably at the moment when he was about to drive to a restroom and uh, later have him shot. 
Yeah, and this this was on the Tagen seat. Presumably Hitler was with SS men there who who confirmed their their accession to power at this point by by, yes, uh, yes. by eliminating uh, the SA uh, leadership. At that time, he had obviously SS bodyguards and uh, all that sort of thing. Yeah. And the other point that I that I think you make about this is the um, one of the key moments in the cultural life of uh, Nazi Germany, which is the Entarte to Kunst. Um, exhibition uh, yes, that you yes. write about, and, and your memories of that? Well, uh, it started to be built in 1933. Uh, I think I saw the very beginning of uh, the building because I, my, uh, my dentist, or the dentist to which my mother took me, was exactly opposite, and curiously enough, he was also Hitler's dentist. Right at the beginning, of course, I mean, later, presumably Hitler had his own private dentist. And so I remember, you know, it gradually going up. And this is what is known as the House of German Art. Yes, uh, it was called House of German Art then. Now it's just called House of Art. Yeah, and and this was the, the scene of this exhibition on Encarte de Kunst, or what the uh, Germans call or what in German is degenerate art. Yes, um, uh, the, the degenerate art exhibition was in 1937, uh, by which time, of course, the uh, House of German Art and all that went with it was up and running. And uh, uh, it was uh, actually, it was very popular. A lot of people went there because that's where you could see the really important pictures, whereas what you saw in Hitler's place was, um, you know, very sort of trad yeah. stuff, um, yeah. sort of blonde peasant maidens, etc., etc. Yeah, so the good stuff was in the degenerate bit. Yes, that's right. And well, I mean, it's a whole long story, of course, what the uh, Nazis did with German art and how they um, sold it abroad, etc., etc., and plundered it and so on. And it was pretty clear, or it became clear eventually, that your family would have to leave, and of course you, you left to settle in Britain. Um, can you tell us about that? Uh, yes, well, I mean, the, the, the thing that really triggered it, and uh, you say made it clear to my father that, you know, there was no remaining there, it was life-threatening, was, of course, Kristallnacht. You know, the night of broken glass in November 1938. And uh, at that point, we then had to strain every nerve to get get out. And as it happened, what, we, what was arranged in the end was that we got what was called a capitalist visa to Britain. Uh, uh, this meant that a thousand pounds had to be deposited with the Treasury in London so that we wouldn't be a charge on the state. Unfortunately, we had enough uh, relations outside Germany with the means, which of course included my uncle Leon, uh, to put down the thousand pounds. That is why, basically why we came to Britain. And you won a scholarship to Winchester, is that correct? That is right, yes. I went to Winchester. um, well, I, I arrived in Britain in February 1938, 
when I was 14, and uh, uh, just before I was 15 in the autumn, I went to Winchester. Yes, was a, a very big change. And became a historian of and became a historian of Nazi and, Germany, uh, among other things. Taught history, and uh, actually, most of the time, I used to teach British history. I taught, uh, you know, sort of Victorian politics. You know, I've written biographies of Gladstone and much later of Disraeli and that sort of thing. So that was my stamping ground and. My thesis was on party organization around in the 1860s, you know, when British mass parties started to develop and that sort of thing. And it was only later that I taught uh, German history because, of course, the students wanted it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and, yeah. And, and few people have, have, have been closer to Hitler, I suppose, in yeah, physical yeah. Well, proximity, if not ideologically. <laughs> They and everyone else can read about that in the June edition of History Today. Yeah, so, yeah. so thank you very much. Thanks, Edgar. Thank you. Our thanks to Edgar Feuchtwenger for that interview. You can read his piece in the June issue of History Today, which is out this week. Also in the issue, Ian Bradley marks the Queen's Jubilee by looking at the history of the coronation rites. Nicholas Mee recalls the astronomer who first observed the passage of Venus across the sun. Elena Woodacre tells the stories of the queens who ruled the Kingdom of Navarre. Tessa Dunlop explores the popularity of tattoos throughout history. And David Runciman revisits the London Olympics of 1908 and 1948. History Today is also now available in digital format for the iPad, Android and Kindle Fire. Visit www.historytoday.com forward slash app for more information. You can also listen to previous editions of this podcast and comment on anything you've heard by visiting www.historytoday.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. 
If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.